Live for Saturday, your favorite college football. I'm your co-host, Mike, and with me as always is your other co-host, John. Doing all right, man. I am uh, just thankfully home from a long, long tour. Um, but, uh, you know, good to be off the road. Good to be home. Just trying to recover and rest at this point in time. Um, but it feels good, man. I'm slowly getting there. Yeah, congratulations on finishing your long tour. Your odyssey is over. Like a Shakespearean hero, you've returned. You know? Things are good. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, dude. It's good. Um, you know, I was <clears throat> able to watch as many games as I could while I was out there. Most mostly like going on and off stage, you know, checking in when I could on my computer um or on my phone. Um, but you know, I tried to catch what I could and then catch up uh, you know, afterwards. But you know, I always gotta gotta keep an eye on the games and see what's going on in the Big Ten for sure. Absolutely. And it, we, it was some wild games indeed. All right, John. So what uh, what did you want to talk about? I know you want to talk about something specifically before we get into reviewing these bowl games. Yeah, you know um, what I well, first, let me just start with just saying where people can find us here. Um, yep. And as always, just to start it off right, you know, you want to find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Podcast Addict. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at we live for B1G Sat. You can also find us, Mike and John. You can find us uh, at at Ali or Alibaba twenty six, and you can find me at Norwegian Gopher. Um, you can also email us at we live for Saturday B1G at gmail dot com. So um, now that we got that out of the way, what I wanted to kind of talk about here and touch on is the um, the national title game with Michigan and Washington. And I've seen a lot of chatter, a lot of talk online <clears throat> um, prior to this, prior to the, to the official, you know, to the playoff games being played. But also since then, um, regarding how would you claim these this national title? Is this like, is this an all Big Ten national title game? So... Whoever wins this, the Big Ten, you know, should get credit. I understand, you know, if Washington wins, the Pac-12 will officially get it. But, you know, fans in general, because you can't tell me that SEC fans wouldn't have claimed Texas. You, It's just, you know, you, I cannot. They absolutely would. Yes. So I'm just curious. I'm curious what your what your thoughts are. Personally, you know, I as a fan would would consider this a Big Ten national title. Um, I, I know it's weird but mainly out of spite to the SEC fans. I got to be honest. It's uh, it's totally for petty reasons. Yeah, and you know what? I think that's totally legit. But, um, you know, John, on the field, the SEC is going to have a chance to... Oh, wait. They... Alabama lost to Michigan, didn't yes, they? Yes, they did. Yeah, yeah. They had their chance, actually. Yep. And it didn't go great. Nope. No, it did not. And it couldn't, it didn't, it, nothing could have made me happier. Yeah. My thoughts, man, as someone who grew up, you know, like we did watching college football when we did, either something really romantic about the Big Ten playing the Pac 12, you know, 12 or Pac 10 or 12 or however many the Pac has, but the Big Ten playing the Pac. 
in the postseason, you know, and it's not the Rose Bowl, but it's still a postseason matchup with a national title on the line. And I guess for me, like the romantic in me, Washington is a pack is a pack school. Yeah. They just are, you know? And I think this year, the last year that conference will exist because of the absolute greed of the television networks that run this sport, which destroyed the Pac-12. And also, you know, obviously the Pac-12 was poorly governed by its, you know, the the presidents of the universities and all that kind of stuff. Um, But I just think it's a really, really romantic idea that you've got the Big Ten and the Pac-12 in this last you know, year of their existence going for a national title. So I will see it to me. I will see it as a pack title if Washington wins. But here's what I'll say. I think I'm in the minority because when we look back in five years, right, let's say Washington wins it, right? When we look back in five years, will we still think of Washington as a pack school? We won't the same way, Right. Because by then, they'll be five years into being in the Big Ten. So I think, well, I romantically will see it as a pack title. I think it absolutely, to everyone else, is going to count as a Big Ten title. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I like how you put that, man. And and I, <clears throat> you know, I'm surprisingly, I didn't actually, I wasn't even thinking about it quite like that. Like the the old school uh, Big Ten, Pac-10, 12 matchup that you and I grew up watching, especially in the Rose Bowl. Um, and and I, I kind of do. I love that, that this is kind of the send off to the, the four team college football playoff era. And then also, you know, even bigger, uh, you know, the end of of, you know, frankly, a, a very old and historic conference, which is is sad. It's very sad. Um, and the ties that the Big Ten and the Pack uh, used to have or did have, and obviously now they're you know permanently tied in many ways. But um, <clears throat> it'll be one way. That's one way to yeah. call it. I mean, one thing you call it they're permanently tied. <laughs> absorbed. Uh, you half there. I like you know, that. Joke. Uh, <laughs> uh, but no, it's it is it's kind of it is kind of cool in that way. Um, you know, I, I hope that, you know, we will be able to uh, gain some new followers from those new schools, those new programs. Um, you know, we're definitely going to be looking to hopefully reach out to a few of those fans for sure. And uh, I want to thank the fans who have accepted. So we're looking for uh, representative members of fan bases of each fan base in the Big Ten um, that follow their schools um, roster fairly closely and have a pretty good idea of what's going on in the program and taking the temperature of the program. We want those fans to like to be in contact with us so we can improve our own reporting on these teams. Yeah. So we've gotten some good responses from fans. I'm not going to shout everyone out right now because I don't want to forget anybody. Um, but we've gotten some good responses. I had a Twitter post and we'll have more of that. And please do reach out to us. Uh, if you're interested in contributing, it would really make a difference in the podcast. And it would also, you know, help uh, us improve the coverage we give to your team because yep. we want to give all the teams in this great, glorious conference. We want to make every team uh, important. Absolutely. Because they all are. No, absolutely. I 
that's something we we definitely wanted to set out right away when we did this is it's not just you know the giant flagships or the helmet schools this is every single team is important um in this conference and it's you know it's the oldest and most you know historic conference in all of college football and and every single program that was there from the beginning um and has added on since um matters to us so yeah so we want to represent you the best way possible. So please be in touch with us. Um, John already gave you all the methods to get in touch with us. So please reach out if you're interested in helping us out. Yes, please. Cool. Well, should we break all this? Should we start with the games and break this down? All right. We're going to break these down. We're going to break down these bowls in the order that they happened. So we're going back um to before christmas a time that was so short a time ago but feels so long ago Mm -hmm. now and we had in the srs distribution las vegas bowl we had the northwestern wildcats 14 the utah ute 7 northwestern had 290 yards of offense to utah's 211 only so neither team did a ton on offense, but Utah was almost entirely shut down in the passing game, which turned out to be the difference. The Utes had just 73 yards passing to Northwestern's 225. So even though Utah had the advantage on the ground, the disparity through the air led to the difference on the scoreboard. Um, and neither team ran the ball all that effectively, although Utah ran it a lot. They ran it 51 times, but averaged just 2.7 yards per rush. So Northwestern was worse at 2.1 yards per rush, but the Cats only ran it 31 times. So they weren't as committed to ramming their heads into a wall as Utah was. Um, The other huge difference in this game was the turnover margin. Utah turned over three times, while Northwestern did not turn the ball over. Utah starting QB Bryson Barnes was just 8 for 13 for an anemic 55 yards on 4.2 yards per attempt and two picks. That is an abysmal stat line, and bad QB play helped sink the Utes. Have to credit Northwestern's defense for making it so hard for Utah to move the ball. Uh, Utah RBs Jaquindon Jackson and Jalen Glover both had roughly 50 yards, although it took Glover twice as many carries as Jackson to get there. Uh, Micah Bernard also got nine carries. At receiver, nobody stood out for Utah, as Micah Bernard was the only player with more than one catch, and he had just three. Uh, For Northwestern, Ben Bryant was a rock-solid 23 for 34 for 222 yards, 6.5 yards per attempt, 2 TDs, and 0 picks. It was a great way for Bryant to end his career with a respectable QBR of 75. I gotta give Bryant credit. He was a really good QB this year, and he helped elevate this team to 8 wins, which was an astonishing feat considering the Cats were projected to win 2-3 to games this year. They proved everybody wrong. And we've talked a lot about David Braun, but we should also talk about these players. And we got to talk about, you know, Brian above all else. Uh, Ben Bryant just had a monster year. So Cam Porter had just 33 yards rushing, but it was the passing game where Northwestern had difference makers anyway. Bryce Kurtz had five catches for 68 yards and a TD. AJ Henning, six for 57 for 57 yards. And Cam Johnson had four for 31 and a TD. It doesn't sound like a lot, but that was enough offense on a day when Northwestern's defense absolutely dominated. Uh, DB Rod Hurd had 12 tackles, including four solo. DB Devin Turner had 11 tackles, and linebacker Bryce Gallagher had 10 tackles. Utah was bad at passing, so Northwestern was able to use their DBs to come up and stop the run. That was a big difference in this game, I thought. 
Uh, senior DB Jaheem Joseph didn't have a bunch of tackles, but he did record two interceptions in a dominant ball hawking performance. I, J- John, I can't say enough about this Northwestern defense. And I'm saying this because I, I want to get your opinion, but then I want to say because I was wrong. I thought the Cats would not be able to stand up to the mighty Mormons on the line of scrimmage. I really, really and truly, I didn't think they were going to be able to do it. I thought Utah would wear them down and eventually run wild, but it absolutely did not happen. I was wrong. John was correct. So, John, what did you think about this game, which you correctly predicted? Well, um, thank you for the credit. I appreciate that. Um, I I honestly, I, I just like... I, it kind of went, it didn't go exactly the way I thought it was going to go. I did think Utah was going to put up a little bit more of a fight um, and not look as anemic as they did offensively. Uh, but I did expect Northwestern's defense to play as well as it did. And um, and that's that was absolutely the difference maker here. It was obviously a defensive battle across the board for both teams. But, you know, Northwestern was just playing. They, they had the edge the entire night. And right away i mean with three sacks in the first quarter i mean that was just that was outstanding and there was nothing you know utah could do there was no answer for them and you know and ben bryant again absolutely he deserves credit and and aj henning and you need to give these guys the credit that they deserve throughout this season because they were there and they and they made the plays when they needed to be made and and this team really has pulled out in my opinion a freaking miracle like you know like it's it's just after coming from all of the turmoil preseason to already before all that they were only expected to win two to three games so and then you get that on top of it you get a brand new coach who's just just coming in to start his first year as dc and thrown into a head coaching situation and in the Big Ten. The guy who was at the FCS level and had no experience at the Big Ten yes. level before this year. I mean, just crazy. I mean, this is a Disney movie. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It really is. So it's just, man, I, I, I just, I believed in Braun. I really did. I don't know why this momentum just seemed like it's been unstoppable all year for the most part. I just, I was like, this has to be, the cherry on top for him and for this team to win, to win out in this bowl game. It just made too much sense to me. Um, so I'm really happy it went the way it did. Uh, you know, I, I know there were some scary spots in there here and there, but overall, man, Northwestern looked great and, and their defense was just astounding. Yeah, I agree. There's not enough that we can say about it. I will say that there's a certain kind of commentator and, and college football pundit, who a lot of them um, do pretty well covering this sport, who likes to talk about how Kyle Whittingham, after Nick Saban, Kyle Whittingham is as good as it gets and that put him at the top of the sport. And he has been consistently great. So if he is that great, if Kyle Whittingham is that great, then this is a monster, even bigger win. Yep. Yeah. I think. We have to give Northwestern credit for beating a guy that a lot of people think is the best thing this side of Nick Saban. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. And I just, I'm excited for the program. Um, you know, Cats fans should be excited of where it's heading. I know there's going to be a ton of changes in the offseason here. Um, so, you know, be ready for that. But at the same time, uh, you know, there's just so much to build on. And I think just having that momentum going into next season is going to matter a lot. Yeah, I believe he let the offensive staff go. Yeah. 
Yep. So he's going to be hiring his guys to come in. But you know what? Then you're going to get David Braun's vision. And if his vision is anything like what he showed, you know, this year, it's probably going to be pretty good. I agree. I agree. The Big Ten, man. Big Ten, just full of really good coaches and lots of really exciting storylines. This is one of my favorites of the year. Yeah, and that's uh, the first game. That's Big Ten West 1-0 and in bowl season. Just saying, let's keep going. All right, we've got the Quick Lane Bowl, the Minnesota Golden Gophers 30, the Bowling Green Falcons 24. Total yards, Minnesota had 281 to Bowling Green's 303. Uh, Bowling Green could throw the ball a bit, while Minnesota could run the ball a lot. Ultimately, Minnesota ran the ball at will. And while the Gopher D was able to get some key stops, and that was the difference in this game. Gopher QB Cole Kramer did what was asked of him. And what was asked of him wasn't much. He completed 8 of 16 passes for just 26 yards on 1.6 yards per attempt, 2 TDs, and 1 bad pick. It's worth noting Kramer had a QBR of nearly 66 for the game, so he wasn't terrible he just wasn't asked to do much in the passing game. That was possible because Darius Taylor went ballistic on the ground. The true frost sensation is finally healthy and not a moment too soon as he broke out for 208 yards rushing on a healthy 5.9 yards per rush. Taylor toted the rock 35 times, including once for a TD. It was as dominant and compelling a performance as I've seen from a gopher RB and we will come back to talk about Darius more later. Uh, Cole Kramer chipped in 31 on the ground, while Jordan Newman had 24 yards. Star wide receiver Daniel Jackson recorded two catches for zero yards, and that kind of tells you what kind of day it was throwing the ball for Minnesota. Elijah Spencer did catch a TD pass and looked good doing it. Jamison Gears and Darius Taylor each chipped in a couple of receptions, including a Gears TD. Uh, Kramer wasn't asked to do much, but outside of the pick, he was efficient executing the game plan. The Gopher D largely did a good job in this game. They pressured Bowling Green QB Connor Basilak, including two sacks from Ja Joyner. was a huge day for him as he was constantly wreaking havoc and creating pressure. Cody Lindenberg had a nice day with six tackles, and senior cornerback Q- uh, Trayvon Jones added two tackles for loss and two passes defended, so it was a nice day for him. Uh, Bowling Green... QB Connor Bazelak was 21 for 36 for 221 yards on 6.1 yards per attempt, one TD and zero picks for a QBR of just 40.4. To be fair to Bazelak, he was under pressure for most of the day, and I thought he did pretty well given the pressure he was under. Um, Wimberly led Bowling Green with 63 yards rushing on just three carries, but other than that, it was tough sledding for the Falcons. They just couldn't get it going on the ground. Wide receiver Odu Hillier is a star, and he led Bowling Green with 10 catches for 152 yards and a TD. He made a very good cornerback in Justin Wally look silly on multiple occasions. That dude can really play. And uh, tight end uh, Harold Fannin also had a nice day with five catches for 50 yards. Those two were the entire Bowling Green offense. John, what did you think about this one? <clears throat> yeah, overall, um, you know, good Good showing by Minnesota. Um, I was obviously impressed with the offense. I mean, you know, like, uh, let me, you know, I guess maybe let me start with the defense here because, um, and then we'll go to the offense because we were going to touch more on Darius Taylor, like you said. So, um, 
the defense, you know, I what I noticed, there was a lot of great pressure coming in from the, from the D-line again. Ja Joyner looked incredible. Um, and I can't wait to see how he looks, you know, next year. Um, Strigo was able to get in there and get some pressures. Um, you know, I, uh, but what I did have some issues with and what we're still seeing, and I know there was a little bit more health with our linebackers and, um, coming back, but still in the middle of the field, like there was just some real coverage issues going on there. And that's what I was, I was still disappointed to see that, not that, that not really being fixed, not really. And it didn't look like it was being addressed the way it should, unless there's just, you know, there's all kinds of problems still going on there. But um, <clears throat> so defensively, it was fine. You know, um, Wally, I, you know, I wasn't expecting him to get embarrassed as much as he was, but Hilaire is incredible. Um, I do expect Wally to be, to be playing better than that though, still. Um, so that was a little disappointing defensively, but you know, they did enough um, to get to get us to the win. Um, and then offensively, man. Yeah. I mean, what, what can you say about Darius freaking Taylor, dude? Um, the guy is a freak. Uh, he's only going to get better. He, I can't wait to see him get a little bit stronger, maybe a little bit bigger, um, and just see what he can do as he continues to develop. Uh, it was really good to see him do what obviously he did. It was good to see Newbin get in there and get a good run. And it was really cool to see Kramer, you know, get his legs and, and do what he was able to do there. Um, you know, I know he wasn't very impressive throwing the ball, but, you know, I think he was able to manage the game well enough and not. Hot. He executed the offense. Exactly. And executed the offense precisely. You know, the only thing that, you know, the only thing really that I had an issue with was his, was the interception he threw at the end of the second. But like, you know, overall, though, for having his first start ever, I think he did just fine with what the offense was going to be the entire night anyways, which was Darius Taylor. Yeah, I mean, he's just a superstar. He could legitimately be, well, I mean, maybe Travion Henderson's the best, but he could be, you know, the second best running back in the Big Ten next Possibly. year. Possibly. And if new Minnesota Gopher QB Max Brosmer, Mr. FCS QB of the year, is as good as advertised, the Gophers could be really dangerous next year with Taylor running the ball, Daniel Jackson catching the ball, and then it'll be a key to keep guys like wide receiver Lamecki Brockington healthy as he was breaking out as a good second option before he got yep. hurt. Yeah, he that really nice kick return in this game, though. So it was great seeing him back out there making plays and looking healthy. Yep. And speaking of which, kick return, which, oh my God, we had two of them. Um, I guess Rob Winger is going out on a high note in a way for him. Um, yeah. And so we can, in which, again, I mean, a little too little, too late, buddy. But uh, now, <laughs> now Rob Winger is is gone, you know. And hopefully, you know, PJ, you know, he's got a big hire he's got to make here at uh, defensive coordinator. But hopefully, he can also make a really good hire for special teams as well. You know what, though, I am shocked. Since you brought it up, we'll go there. I am shocked that PJ fired Rob Winger. Really. By yeah, I am because by all reports, Wenger is his best buddy on the staff. That they are close, that they socialize, all that kind of stuff. So I just thought that PJ was going to ride with terrible special teams and just assume that an okay kicking game 
was good enough to make up for terrible return teams. And I thought he was just going to do that. Well, he has but for like seven years. He has. And I that's why I think PJ is feeling the pressure from going six and seven. Yeah. I think he's feeling the heat because I just don't think he would have made this decision. I mean, he didn't make this decision in any other year. Yeah. And he easily could have. Yeah. And he did not. So I think that shows that PJ Fleck knows he needs to bounce back and have a big year next year. I think you'll have to see, you know, Minnesota um, gearing their roster towards trying to make a run and having a really nice year next year. It's, you know, PJ has, this is him, I hope, changing his best, the what he always says. And I hope that, uh, you know, there needed to be a little pressure, I think, on him um, to make some change, some big changes in the offseason here because, this year shouldn't have been, <clears throat> it really shouldn't have gone the way it did. I understand injuries were injuries and that's, that's really tough and any team like that. But, um, you know, I, I personally, you know, and I am a fan, I am a gopher fan here, but I do think there should have been at least two more wins on that, on that schedule. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they gave multiple, they gave the Illinois and, and Northwestern games away. Just gave them yep. away. I mean, those games were all but one. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could see in the in the grin on Brett Bielema's face at the end of that game that he was shocked he won it somehow. Mm-hmm. So those two games they easily could have won. There are other games that they should have been more competitive in than they were. Um, but hopefully, you know, Brosmer seems like a high floor kind of guy who's pretty accurate. So hopefully that that'll work out. Yep. But anyway, I don't want to get past this game. We still have more to For talk sure. about in that. All right, let's talk about how Cole Kramer's fiance, Katie Miller, they made her the focal point of the entire broadcast. Yep. And it got a little silly how they kept cutting to her nonstop the whole game. Yep. Like, I appreciate that she was a good sport about it, but it must have been weird for her to just suddenly be on display for the TV viewing audience yeah. like, like she was Kate Middleton at a tennis match. Or Taylor Swift at a Kansas City Chiefs game, like that. You know, yes. like that's the whole thing. That's and I, I don't know. Um, I don't know why that seemed to be the focus. Uh, like, sure, you want to touch on that if you're running, if you don't have things to talk about. But it seemed a little silly when we're not focusing and talking about football, like the game that we're here to play. You know, I mean, I felt like the announcers did not do that much research on the game. Yep. And so they leaned really hard into the story angle. And it's so silly because they made it sound like the wedding was like about to happen. Like, like, like they, they, they shoehorned this football game in before a wedding. The wedding's in February. Okay. Like this is not something that's impending like tomorrow was impending like tomorrow or next week when the game was played. So it wasn't the biggest, it wasn't the biggest thing for Cole Kramer to take some NIL and play and get to start do live out his dream and start a game as go for football quarterback, which by the way, I think it was confirmed by Ryan Burns that it was not $30,000. Whoever wish it was what I wish it was, but sorry. (laughs) Yeah. But I know that's, that was some, some person on Twitter or whatever, some guy that, that writes, you know, blogs and whatever, but like put that number out there, but. But yeah, um, either way, we're glad he stayed. Thank you, Cole. Thank you for being a program guy. We're glad you were there. You, Thank you, Cole. You know, 
And thank you, Katie Miller, for being a good sport about all of yes, it. Yes, and we hope you guys have a wonderful life together and a great wedding and great move down to Arizona. Absolutely. <laughs> and Cole, I'm sure, will have the next you know, generation of Gopher football fans coming along at some point. Go. Right on. All right. So one more thing I want to say about this game before we move on. After the game, Bowling Green coach Scott Leffler in the postgame said the Gophers – Quote, couldn't throw it from me to you. It's close quote. This is a weird comment for a couple reasons. One, this guy knows Minnesota is down to its last scholarship QB and backup Cole Kramer. Was he expecting a pass-heavy scheme? <laughs> and also, Minnesota ran roughshod all over the Falcons. Pointing out Minnesota's currently anemic passing game just highlights how poor Bowling Green was against the run. Minnesota ran a small handful of plays over and over again, and Bowling Green couldn't stop them. This wasn't smoke and mirrors. This is we're bigger and more athletic than you, and you can't stop us. Power, F you, Big Ten football. Yep. I mean, if you can't stop that, it's on you. It's your job to make Minnesota prove it could throw the ball consistently, and his team just didn't do that. So I thought it was a weird thing for him to draw attention to. Yeah, I mean – I know he was trying to find a way to like defend his decisions or his loss or I don't know, but it it seemed weird. And I agree. And yeah, man, I mean, we didn't Minnesota didn't need to pass the ball. I mean, I'm not saying he wasn't right in pointing out that Minnesota's, you know, passing game was, was anemic. It was, but it didn't need to be anything more than what it was because of Darius Taylor and, and Minnesota's offensive line. Um, Minnesota's defensive line. And defensive line. Yeah. Both sides of the line of scrimmage. They pressured Connor Bazelak all day. He was, you know, honestly, I thought lucky to complete as many passes as he did, given the pressure he was under. I was impressed. I was impressed that he did as well as he did. Yeah. 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 Strange, bitter comment. I don't know. I didn't expect that from him, I guess. Yeah. That was weird. Well, with that, the Gophers have now won, I believe, seven bowl games in a row. Yep. Five PJ Fleck, seven in a, in a row. Yep. Yeah. PJ Fleck, five in a row at Minnesota. So I think bowl games are a big, they show you program buy in from the players because players can easily, you know, their vacation, it's the end of the season, it's easy to blow off, and you see a lot of teams blow them off. We're going to talk about that. But PJ's teams always buy in, they always show up in bowl games. So. I have to give him credit for that. Absolutely. All right. Let's move on to the Bad Boy Mowers Pinstripe Bowl. The Rutgers Scarlet Knights 31. The Miami Hurricanes 24. Total yards Rutgers 292 to Miami's 311. Uh, Rutgers could run the ball but couldn't pass the ball. Miami did a little of both, but wasn't effective until Rutgers already had a big lead, which meant they were playing catch-up all day. Um, That's exactly where Rutgers wants you, behind on the scoreboard. And they want that because they can lean on Kyle Manungai at running back to carry the load. Worth noting, Miami had one turnover to Rutgers zero turnovers, so that margin is always so key in these close bowl games. Uh, Rutgers QB Gavin Wimsat was just seven for 15 for 84 yards, zero TDs, but also zero picks. So it was another ineffective, but not catastrophic performance from Wimsat, which is an improvement from some of his performances this year. Let's be totally honest, right? All right. 
Kyle Manungai had a huge day with 163 yards on 25 carries for a gaudy 6.5 yards per rush and one TD. Manungai was dominant, and his running propelled Rutgers to victory. Rutgers receivers did not stick out in this game. Christian Dremel, Isaiah Washington, and Kyle Manungai had just five catches among the three of them, but it didn't matter on a day when Rutgers ran the ball extremely well. Uh, Rutgers linebacker Dion Jennings had a nice day with nine tackles, including a tackle for loss. And linebacker Mohamed Toure continued to be a problem with eight tackles, a sack, and two tackles for loss. Uh, linebacker Abram Wright recorded an interception, so big day for the Rutgers linebackers. Uh, Miami QB Jacuri Brown went 20 for 31 for 181 yards on just 5.8 yards per attempt, one TD and one pick for a QBR of 65.3. So Brown played okay, but just didn't have enough explosive plays. Um, he did have two rushing TDs and 57 yards rushing, uh, but it just wasn't enough on this day. Miami ran the ball okay, but not as great as uh, Henry Parrish had just 46 yards and 4.2 yards per rush. Um, they were behind so much early, they just had to focus on that passing game. And it just makes such a difference to your offense when you're fighting from behind all game. It makes you predictable. So Miami wide receiver Xavier Restrepo had 11 catches for 99 yards and a TD. So huge day for him. And Isaiah Horton had five catches for 54 yards for a nice day for him as well. John, what'd you think about this game? Well, first off, I want to just say at before the season started, I picked Rutgers to go six and six and yes, you not did. many people. If I don't know anybody else, I mean, I'm sure there were a few, but like had that as, as a pick, I, I'm, I just, I saw something in this team. <clears throat> I I believe that Shiano has them moving in a good direction. I know it's taken a little while, but it's Rutgers, so it's hard to coach at Rutgers. So he's killing it, in my opinion, especially winning seven games this year. Um, so you know, I I think that again, there's another team that overachieved, uh, just like Northwestern, um, in a way, and I think that that this is moving in a great great. Uh, it's moving in a really good direction for Rutgers. And I think it's moving again. It's another team that has perennially been at the bottom of the totem pole in the big 10 and, and in college football in general. And even if they're just getting to six wins, you know um, this is showing the strength of the conference that's that it's getting better and has better coaches. It's, it's recruiting better. And you're looking at players like Manungai, you know, who is just a fun, a phenom. He's, he's so good. And, He's so really shifty. Good. He's so fast. He's so quick. And and you're seeing the offense in Rutgers. Offensive line play looking just absolutely dominating. And they're just tough. This is a tough, tough, tough team. And you're and their defense is outstanding. I mean, all around, man. I think, you know, if they had a little bit better court, quarterback play, Rutgers could have won two, three more games possibly. So you really got to give credit to Shiano and what he's building there. And what I saw in this game too, you know, I understand, you know, in the second half, things got a little bit close. Um, it got a little scary at the end, obviously with the, uh, uh, that onside kick, which gave Miami a chance at the end, but you know, Rutgers just looked great. Manungai was amazing. Their offensive line was dominant. Um, and their defense was, was, was fantastic. You know, they, Torrey was all over the place. Um, they had some, they had, um, some quality sacks and then they had that blocked punt, um, that led, that was, you know, that led to a TD in the third quarter. 
So overall, man, I'm just seeing nothing but great positive things for Rutgers and the program. And uh, I think they they really need to continue to work with Shiano. And, you know, I think it's just going to continue to get better. I'm really I think it was a great win. Um, they should be proud. I know it's an old uh, Big East opponent. And there's some bad blood there between them and Miami. And I think it's it's really great to see that uh, Rutgers was able to pull out that win against uh, an ACC team. Yeah, absolutely. Congrats to Shiano and staff for turning things around despite a tough Big Ten East schedule. Um, Kyle Manungai is coming back to Rutgers next season, and that means Shiano and co. have a chance to be even better next yeah. year. What do you think the ceiling is for next year's Scarlet Knights? Is this a program that can shoot for eight wins? I think it is, but they're going to need better QB play to get there, and then you know we can segue into that, the QB play yeah. thing. But what do you what do you think is realistic for Rutgers to shoot for next year? You know, I think realistically, if they're able to keep that defense intact for the most part and continue to keep it, even if it's just as good as it was this year, um, and having that offensive line with Manungai continue to produce, I do think, you know, seven, eight wins is very possible. Um, if they can get, you know, either get uh, Wimsat to to play a little bit better and, and be able to pass the ball a little bit better because they have some they have some receivers that can catch the ball. Um, or if like we're going to probably talk about here um, now that Ethan Kaliak Manis is is uh, moving over to Rutgers, uh, is that going to cause some some competition? Is Ethan going to be able to play better under Kirk Shiraka, who recruited him? Um, so there's some interesting things going on over in Piscataway. Fascinated absolutely fascinated by this and that's because everyone assumed and i think it was even reported in some places but i'm not sure if it was ever confirmed that athian calic manis walked away from minnesota because he did not want to be in a quarterback battle mm-hmm. well is unless there's something we don't know about gavin wimsad he's walking into a quarterback battle yep I'm shocked, like totally floored by this. I did not think that was going to happen, but you know, I'm sure Ethan's watching Rutgers thinking I'm better than this guy. Mm -hmm. And I think he is at least as a passer, he doesn't have as good a running instincts as Wimpsat has though. No, And that's a big part of, that was a big part of the Rutgers offense this year was the quarterback run game. He's not the physical specimen that Wimsat is. Wimsat is just is a better athlete, I think, but he's not as good of a passer, I think, as, as Ethan. If, if When Ethan's on, I should say. Yeah. Um, he's more accurate than Wimsat is, though, to be fair. Like, based on their current stats, neither is very accurate, but Wimsat's well under 50% at 46.7%. Mm-hmm. Ethan wasn't much over 50, but maybe Kirk thinks he can coach Ethan up and bring out higher upside. Um, yeah, I'm shocked. I thought Ethan was gonna go to a group of five school where he could walk in, wouldn't have to compete, would be the starter. You know, I thought like some place like Liberty where you can walk in and just, you know, have a big budget and outspend and kind of just all the, the people you play against. I just thought that was the route he was going to take. And so honestly, like grudging respect to him for being like no i'm a power five qb and i'm gonna go if i if it's if minnesota isn't gonna work out i'm gonna go win a job yeah it's just a little weird that pj fleck couldn't sell him on fighting for his own job 
he's going to fight for somebody else's job. He could, the PJ Fleck couldn't sell him on fighting for his own job, you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess like I have to believe that it has a little bit to do or a lot to do with the fact that Kirk Chirac is there who did recruit him. Um, yes. But yeah, I, I mean, it's a little it's also a little confusing, um, you know, as well, uh, because you're right. I, I did hear that that it was an issue of, you know, wanting to compete for a job here at Minnesota. But uh, I don't know. I, I am intrigued. It's going to be interesting to watch Rutgers in the offseason here and seeing who comes out. Um, I kind of expect Rutgers or, or uh, Wimsat to to probably start next season. But um, it will be interesting, you know, if if he still has the the issues he's been having with the pick sixes, with the interceptions, with the, or just the lack of accuracy in general, to see if uh, Ethan gets in there and seeing, you know, I know he doesn't have the legs that Wimsat has, but who knows? Maybe he can make something happen. Are we headed towards a two QB system in Piscataway is the question. Yeah, maybe. We could be headed for like an open competition that goes into the season. I think it could be ugly and dirty like that. Could be, for sure. Yeah, that's interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Rutgers had a pretty mediocre offense all year, but they had no problems producing on this game once they got out of conference, did they? Was big for Rutgers to end with a winning record, something they can build on going into next year with a lot of players returning, like we said. But I just think it's funny. Everyone gave us a hard, hard time about these Big Ten defenses, and most of these offenses, the ones that weren't killed by opt-outs, right? Like, we'll talk about Ohio State. Mm-hmm. But most of these offenses went out there and scored a whole bunch of points out against not Big Ten defenses. Yep. I, I again, I... It's I, almost like the Big Ten plays great defense. Almost. Consistently. Yeah, and, and maybe, <laughs> maybe Big Ten defenses are really good, and it's not just that the Big Ten offenses are terrible. Like, that. it's... I... But again, you know, I mean, I know you and I see this. There's others within the conference and, and fans and other that that understand and see this. But the national narrative will continue to push that that's not the case because, you know, um, everyone still subscribes to the SEC. Even if the Big Ten, I, I fully expect even if the Big Ten. I don't know, man. I think, are we at a tipping point, though? I would hope so. Because all, as you said, what you're calling and I think is legit. To, I'm not going to call it that. But you're calling it an all Big Ten national title game. And I think that's what everyone else is going to call it. Yeah. So are we at a tipping point, maybe? I hope so, because I'm tired of it. I'm tired of the narrative. Um, I understand that there are some teams that that is true. If we're talking about Iowa or even Minnesota this year to some degree or, you know, or in the past, I should say, Um, not this year particularly. But like there but I do think that that can be said about pretty much every conference and including the SEC. I don't think that the, yeah. like they have the same situations and it's not just the big 10, um, no. you know, and, and look at you know, even look at the PAC 12, like they, like everyone counted out Washington, how many times this year and their defense came up and showed up in clutch situations. And yep. they, they don't even have the top talent in the country defensively or offensively necessarily, but they are producing and making it work. And so I just think that I I think it's a tired narrative and it needs to end. Yeah, I agree. And also last thing about this game, these baseball stadium games, as you said, are awful and they should be banned. Never again. It's just worth noting that one more time that these baseball stadium games are no good and they shouldn't have them. 
There are other places to have bowl games. There are plenty. There are lots of football fields. Yes. Just go to a football field. Yes. In I don't care if it's outdoor. I don't care if it's indoor. It doesn't make any difference to me. Yeah. Find a decent field and just play a football game. And we're game. talking about having something in New York City. How many freaking... There's so many fields within New York City, New Jersey, whatever you want to find. Or go somewhere else. Like, I mean, like we, there's plenty of other bowl options in different cities that you could go to that doesn't have to be on a goddamn football so field. Many. <sighs> or baseball field, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, it drives me crazy. Have it be the pinstripe classic at this other stadium. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. All right. All right. Moving on since we get mad about that. Good job, Rutgers, though. Good job. We've got, yes. Yeah, congrats to Rutgers. Big season. Absolutely. Um, the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic, the Missouri Tigers 14, the Ohio State Buckeyes 3. Total yards, Missouri 331 to Ohio State's 203. I wrote next to that three exclamation points. What? 203 yards for an Ohio State offense? Yikes, John. Yikes. Um, Neither team could throw the ball very well, but Mizzou ran the ball much better than Ohio State did, which was the difference in this game. Mizzou was also a little more efficient in the passing game than Ohio State was. Uh, Ohio State also had a turnover, while Mizzou did not. Mizzou quarterback Brady Cook was 11 for 18 for 128 yards on 7.1 yards per attempt, one TD, and a QBR of 78. So a solid, if unspectacular, performance from Cook. Uh, Cody Cody Schrader was the bell cow with 128 yards on 4.4 yards per rush and a TD. So it was a big day for Schrader on the ground. Brady Cook also scrambled for 66 yards to bolster the rushing attack. The Buckeyes kept star Mizzou wide receiver Luther Burden under wraps with just three catches for 15 yards, but he did manage a TD. Um, But it was the rushing attack that led Mizzou to victory and, of course, their dominant defense. Mizzou linebacker Tristan Newsom had 10 tackles, including two and a half tackles for loss, so nice day for him. Mizzou also sacked Ohio State four times, which helped shut the Buckeyes down. For Ohio State, Devin Brown was just four for six for 20 yards before he got hurt. That put Ohio State in a terrible position having to play their third string QB. Then it was up to True Frosh, Lincoln Keenholz, and it's safe to say he was not up to the task, going just six for 17 for 86 yards on 5.1 yards per attempt, a QBR of just 20.4. Ouch. Brown and Keenholz each had a chance to seize the moment. Neither was able to do so. Travion Henderson had a decent day with 72 yards, but just 3.8 yards per rush, so it wasn't nearly enough to get the offense going. And Emeka Buka led the way with six catches for 63 yards for the Buckeyes. John, what did you think about this absolute weird game? Well, it was weird. Um, I... You know, I I know Ohio State had a ton of opt outs. Like we need to address that. We need to talk about that. And it sure. and it's sure, and it's true. And 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 you know, and I want to. I have to say that you know that definitely played a big part in this game and in this loss. Um, he, I, I can. It makes me question. Um, a little bit of Ryan Day's leadership. Um, I am having some big questions uh, at the head coaching spot in Columbus. Um, 
due to this and the end of this season and with uh, obviously Kyle McCord being pushed out. Um, it just I, I it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever because I didn't see anything in Devin Brown or uh, Keen Holtz that that gave me a lot of hope uh, for the future. Um, I, I I'm scared, man. I'm scared for the Buckeyes. I think this game was sloppy. Um, you saw early on uh, Henderson looked like he was going to have a great day, uh, but then they were able to bottle him up pretty quickly and put a stop to that. And you just saw, you know, the Buckeye defense fall apart. And I, I don't know, man, it was a sloppy, ugly game for Ohio state. I don't think I've seen this kind of a game from them in a very, very long time. And I'm talking Mm -hmm. years, um, even with, you know, you know, a lot of their starters out, I don't think I've seen this kind of play from them. Um, and it does make me wonder, uh, I, I, at first I was kind of, you know, I know we talked about it maybe a, a couple weeks ago or a few weeks ago about, uh, our thoughts on Ryan day and how the fan base is thinking about this, that, or the other with their future. And, um, I'm starting to understand a little bit more now and I, I would be concerned as well. This was bad. This was really bad. And I, like I said, yes, there were a ton of opt outs, but uh, this is Ohio State, man. You you recruit at the top tier level in the country, and it just didn't look like you had coached up uh, a lot of your backups, a lot of your young talent. Um, again, maybe you still would have lost the game, but this was pretty. This was pretty pretty brutal. The effort offensively was absolutely abysmal and it's here's the thing i'll say about ohio state and you just more or less made this point john but when you recruit like ohio state recruits there are three teams in the country who recruit differently than everyone else ohio state alabama and georgia and that's the list and they recruit differently than everyone else in the country does There is a drop-off usually just about every year in the recruiting rankings, and it's those three schools that are at the top over and over and over again, or at least have been in this era of college football. And Ohio State is always there. Ohio State is the juggernaut that never goes away. You know, Alabama's had bad down times. Texas has had down times. Um, Georgia's had down times. Ohio State has not had down times, really. Mm -hmm. They had one bad year under an interim coach, and that is just about it. Yep. So for them to show up with this effort is unbelievable. And here's what I'm going to say to you, something that I saw today, John, that, that blew my mind. In So Ryan Day, reportedly, you get each team, first of all, let's establish, each team is allotted 15 practices for bowl prep. Ryan Day reportedly only used 12 of those practices and 12 and all 12 of those practices were designated as light practices. This was reported by the Ohio state 24 seven site. Wow. If this is true, then Ohio state made two mistakes. They didn't use all of their practices to prepare for Mizzou, which was pretty clear. They weren't prepared for Mizzou, but also they didn't get their young guys, all the practice reps they could have had which is a mistake when you can see how Ohio State played with guys who weren't in position. So 
if that's true, and this is still, again, this is one guy reporting this, so I'm not saying I know for sure this is true, but if this is true, John, what are your thoughts on that? That's, again, man, that's scary. That is, uh, that really makes me question that the leadership in in Columbus and and that is something that if true, um, I can't imagine the administration or the AD um, at Ohio State will will uh, take lightly. Um, and I because I, it was very evident, like you said, um, that the Buckeyes were just completely unprepared and it was it was embarrassing to say the least. They showed up on defense, but to play like they did offensively and score three points is just inexcusable in this day and age of college football. It just is. Yeah. And when you're Ohio State, I don't care how far you are into the depth chart. These are all four and five star recruits. You should be able to, with a month of practice, put something together. But apparently they didn't use their whole month of practice, maybe. Yeah, uh, that's I, as a, if I were a Buckeye fan, I would be very, very concerned. Yeah. Has the fire Ryan Day crowd taken over the OSU fan base? I feel like it's teetering. I feel like he's on the brink. Like he, if he, I think he's got one season to make this right and it's next yeah. year. And so here's my question for you. If, you know, Ryan Day is really that close that on the brink like that, who's going to play quarterback for Ohio State next year? Because it can't be Devin Brown or Lincoln Keenholz. And so I've seen Will Howard potentially is going to be the guy and is will howard better than kyle mccord that's an honest question because i'm not totally sure that he is so it seems like a weird just like why did they run kyle mccord off in the first place if they were going to replace him with a guy who's like he's more mobile than mccord is sure but he's not as accurate a passer and i feel like mccord still has another level to get to as a passer and there yeah i don't know man i just i don't i don't understand to me you were only running kyle mccord off if you had a surefire guy to take his place and i don't see will howard as a surefire guy and the people who are the biggest recruiting gurus think their true freshman air nolan probably needs a year yeah. you know before he's going to be ready to to be the guy so Will Howard better be it, man. He better be it, or I don't think Ryan Day is going to last. I don't think he can suffer one more loss to Michigan. I don't think he can. Well, I don't think he can, he can get there. Because that's John Cooper territory. One and four. John Cooper was what? Two and ten? Yeah. You get to one and four, and that's four in a row? That's John Cooper territory. Yep. And, you know, God forbid, uh, you know, it's not just Michigan that Ohio State loses, loses to next year. There, there could be Ryan Day may not make it through the season if that's the case. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point too. Although my, I have a buddy, friend of the podcast, Phil, who he claims that he wouldn't care about going nine and three as long as they beat Michigan. That's what he claims to me. I don't believe. I, it, I mean, really. <laughs> I I hear you because I know Minnesota fans say like as long as we beat Iowa and Wisconsin, like we're happy. Um, but I don't think that's the way it is anymore. And especially at a program like Ohio state, if you're not in the college football playoff, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a loss. Like it's a, it's just a waste of a year, um, 
for I'd say the vast majority of those fan bases. Now, yes, would you be happy that you beat Michigan? Sure. Yes, I get it. I get that part, but I just don't believe that you would truly be satisfied with nine and three it, it, at the end of the season. I don't, I just don't as a, as an Ohio state fan. There's absolutely no way. So yeah, I think Ryan day has put himself. If like, if those reports are true and I, and I have no reason to believe they aren't, I think he's put himself like firmly on the hot seat. He better be right. He better be right about, about putting every, all the chips in on next year yep. and blowing off a bowl game. Because that's not something at Ohio State, you know, they take them, you know, Urban Meyer won in the post. He beat Michigan and he won in the postseason most of the time. Yep. And that's what they want to see. Yep. Um, I thought it was super weird. Last thing on this game and then we can move on. I thought it was super weird. Neither team threw the ball well. It was. Very- I was like, oh, it's Ohio State's wide receivers versus star Luther Burden for Mizzou. It's going to be pyrotechnics. And then it was nothing. Yeah. It was weird. It was it was a Big Ten West game. It was a Big it Ten was West game. Only a Big Ten West game. Yeah. <laughs> Very weird. Only with less time, teams weren't used to it. Yeah. All right. Moving on. We've got the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. The Ole Miss Rebels 38. The Penn State Nittany Lions 25. Total yards, Ole Miss had 540 to Penn State's 510. So both offenses had a lot of success, particularly through the air. Penn State had two turnovers, while Ole Miss had none, and that made a big difference in this game. Ole Miss QB Jackson Dart was 25 for 40 for 379 yards on a robust 9.5 yards per attempt, three TDs, zero picks, and a QBR of 92.9. So suffice it to say, it was one of the best games of Jackson Dart's career. Uh, running back Quinshawn Judkins had a nice day running the ball with 106 yards, but on just 3.1 yards per rush. So he had to earn every yard, and Penn State largely did a good job stopping the run. However, they did not stop the passing attack, as both Caden Priestcorn and Trey Harris had over 100 yards receiving with 136 and 134 yards respectively. Um, Priestcorn also had two TDs. This passing game explosion propelled Ole Miss to victory. Safety Dejon Anthony recorded an interception, three tackles, and a pass defended. So good day for him. Uh, for Penn State, Drew Aller was 19 for 39, 295 yards on 7.6 yards per attempt, two D- TDs, and one costly pick. His QBR was 72.6. Both Catron Allen and Nicholas Singleton were efficient with the carries they got, but because Penn State was playing from behind, they had to abandon the running game and throw the ball more than they probably wanted to. Each had roughly 50 yards rushing on 18 combined carries. Tight end Tyler Warren was the star for Penn State with five catches for 127 yards. Nicholas Singleton had 86 yards receiving and a TD, and Harrison Wallace had four for 67 yards and a TD. Notably, Keandre Lambert-Smith didn't record a catch and didn't seem to be a big part of the Nittany Lions game plan. I read rumors, and okay, John, these are fully rumors. The other thing about Ohio State, there's actually reports on this. These are just, we're getting into the place, the era of rumor, and it's bowl season, so I'm just going to be wild and let it go and do that. But there are rumors that James Franklin was limiting snaps of some major contributors who are headed to the NFL draft or returning next year. And I just really hope that's not true. It would be an absolute shame if Franklin had guys available for a bowl game but didn't play them very much, which led to his own team's defeat. These are competitive events. Coaches need to try to win. 
That's part of the sanctity of the sport. The central conceit of this sport is that everybody is trying to win. So I just say, hopefully, I hope that's not true. I don't know if you saw anything like that. I heard a little bit about something about that. Yes. Yeah. Which is disappointing if that if it is true. I mean, I just can't imagine taking and this isn't just any these aren't just any bowl games. This is the Peach Bowl. Yeah. You know, and for the Buckeyes, we're talking about the Cotton Bowl. We're talking about major bowl games. I just can't I just can't imagine blowing something off like that as, you know, a coaching staff. I just I'm with you. So what do you think about this one? Uh, yeah, it, this was disappointing, man. Um, the Nittany Lions were, were disappointing. I do think that, you know, they, they had some, they looked like they were going to do something on the ground early on. Um, it looked like they were able to run on Ole Miss. Um, but then, you know, they were unfortunately, like you said, like having to, having to kind of like play catch up and, and Jackson Dart looked great. So, and their passing game looked, looked just much more efficient. Um, they had more uh, explosive plays than Penn State did, which seems to be again a theme for for Penn State this year. Uh, they just don't produce a lot of explosive plays. They can efficiently ru- you know move the ball down the field pretty well um, with their short passing game, especially to their tight ends and you know and running backs and screen plays. But they don't got a lot going on downfield, and Aller isn't particularly accurate with the long ball. Um, and so that's another issue that I've, I've noticed, especially, and again, in this game, you know, he, he's efficient enough and he, you know, he does, he's a pretty decent game manager, but he's not gonna, you know, not going to create a lot of fireworks from what I can tell. Um, and maybe he's got more to develop and maybe he's going to reach a higher ceiling, but so far he's, he's a good college quarterback, but I'm not seeing anything that's like incredibly impressive The what, what I think we were all expecting to see out of, out of him at Penn state. Um, <clears throat> defensively also, I was disappointed. Um, a lot of broken coverages. Uh, the DBs seem to be having trouble all day. Uh, they were getting burned on the run in the second half and it looked like Ole Miss pretty much in the second half was doing whatever they wanted for at, at certain points in time. And, and it was, so it was a little rough, man. This was not the Penn state team. This was not the number one defense in the country that I, I was expecting to see. Um, and it was uh, it was it was kind of ugly. And if and if it does turn out to be that, that's that's true, because it, it did seem like all the best players weren't always on the field. So I don't know. Again, a little confused. I expected a better show turnout uh, for Penn State. It looked like Ole Miss wanted it a lot more. I so I was doing really well. I'm going to talk personally for a second here. I was doing really well in my annual bowl pool, John, going into the cotton and the peach bowl. I was doing great. But the thing is, the way the bowl pool works is like regular games are one point. If they're both ranked teams, it's two points. If it's, you know, and then it escalates up in the importance of the bowl game to three and then four points, right? So these were either three or four point games, I forget. And I picked the big 10 because I was like, no way Penn state's going to let Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin come in and run them. They're going to show up. They're going to big 10 them. They're going to physical them. They're going to throw the ball around. Keandre Lambert Smith's going to have a big day. We're going to call it good. And I just, I did not expect this kind of poor effort. And it's, it's fair to say that the, you know, a lot of guys opted out. So we have to acknowledge that, but 
I was exasperated just watching them. I would bet anything. I would have bet anything the PSU defense would show up and hold Ole Miss in the 20s point, points-wise, but Ole Miss just carved them up in the passing game, and Penn State provided little resistance. I believe that Penn State missed Chop Robinson and others, but there's no excuse for the piss-poor effort I saw on that field. None. Totally agree. This is a team that's not playing as hard as it could. That's a direct reflection on the head coach, which brings me to my next point. James Franklin loses yet another big game. And the guy who runs the pool, he texted me at the bet. And he said, you know, he's a nice guy. But he texted me at the beginning of the game and he goes, I just can't believe me and also friend of the pod, Phil. And he says, you guys watch more Big Ten football than than uh, than anybody I know. I I just don't understand what you were thinking. And I And I said, thinking what? And they go, picking James Franklin to win a big game. And he said that in the first quarter and I was like, oof, later. I was like, oof, you're right. I broke a rule. I picked Penn State to win a big game when they were expected to show up. And what does James Franklin do in big games? He loses. Yeah. And we've seen him lose. And, you know, you can make an excuse when it's a Michigan or Ohio State. And you can argue the talent is better there, right? Yeah. But he loses to Ole Miss in big games. He's lost to Iowa in big games. He's lost to Minnesota in big games. He's lost to teams that he out-recruits in big games. And he absolutely out-recruits Ole Miss. Yeah. I know Ole Miss is making a big run in the portal and trying to win a national title next year. So maybe next year's roster for Ole Miss will be on that level. But on a regular basis, Penn State out-recruits Ole Miss. Yeah. So it was a rough, rough loss. And they weren't dialed in. They dug themselves a hole. They couldn't climb back out of despite a pretty solid effort from the offense. But if you bill yourselves as the number one defense in the country, you have to give number one effort because defense is effort, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can find times to rest on offense. If the play isn't going to your side and you're a wide receiver and you don't have to run your route as hard or whatever and blah, 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 blah. But if you're on defense, you have to be on a point with intensity all the time Yep, and dialed in. And that's effort. And Penn State didn't exhibit the effort. Nope. Yeah, uh, it it just it didn't look like the team we saw all season uh, defensively. No, not at all. It was so frustrating. Yeah, yep. It was so frustrating to watch them play like that, especially when the offense was humming along pretty well and doing pretty well. I mean, this was a team at one point in time was expected to possibly make it to the the college football playoff. Yeah. So. Uh, the dirty little secret is that Drew Aller isn't any better than Sean Clifford, is he? I don't think so. He doesn't make as many mistakes. I'll give him that. But he also doesn't make as many plays. Yeah. I'm with so, you. So that's the thing. It'll be interesting to see if Penn State tries to go elsewhere at quarterback going forward. Mm-hmm. Or if they think Aller has another level. And I think they should probably ride with Aller because he's good and he's a solid quarterback and he can probably get better Players in college get better. You don't always have to go to the portal to replace the guy on your roster. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So good year for Penn State, but really bad taste in your mouth when James Franklin fell flat on his face in the three biggest games of the year once again. All right. Moving on. Yep. We have the Trans Perfect Music City Bowl. Maryland Terrapins. 31, the Auburn Tigers, 
15. Total yards, Maryland 310 to Auburn's 300. Uh, Both teams had very similar numbers running and passing, although Maryland was somewhat more efficient both on the ground and through the air. Auburn turned the ball over four times, while Maryland turned it over just once. That three turnover disparity gave Maryland a lot more chances than Auburn had, which showed up on the scoreboard. And, you know, Maryland was able to score on short fields and stuff like that. Uh, The Terrapins dominated, going up 21-0 in the first quarter. From there, they cruised to an easy 31-13 win. For Maryland, QB Billy Edwards finished just 6 of 20 for 126 yards on 6.3 yards per attempt, one TD, and zero picks. Uh, Cameron Edge also played and went 4 for 6 for 82 yards with one TD and one pick. Edwards also had 50 yards rushing, while Maryland's RBs were largely shut down. So Maryland relied on its passing game for big plays, recording receptions of 61 yards, 57, 26, 17, and 15 yards, respectively. Hitting those big gainers helped make up for the poor overall completion percentage. Uh, For Maryland, DBs Glendon Miller and Levain Scruggs recorded interceptions, and Miller returned his 44 yards for a second-half TD. Auburn played three QBs, and together they went 21 for 42 for 224 yards on 5.3 three yards per attempt, one TD, and two picks. Marquez Hunter had 44 yards and 3.4 yards per rush. Damari Alston had nine for 23, but overall Auburn couldn't get anything going on the ground. Wide receiver Caleb Burton had a good game with five catches for 78 yards, while tight end Rivaldo Fairweather had five catches for 45 yards to lead the Tigers in receiving. John, what did you think about this one? This is a fun game, man. I I enjoyed it. Um, you know, Maryland and Loxley, we were just doing exactly what he loves to do and just take YOLO shots and come up, you know, try to uh, drive up the score. And they did, you know, and and he just kept going back to it, which I love that. And it was fun seeing the two different QBs playing and and not seeing Talia out there. It was really interesting. I, I had fun watching Billy Edwards Jr., um, you know, running with his legs. He was very effective. Um, and seeing edge have some really good throws. He had a, he had a massive throw to Prather that set up a TD pass to Wade later on in the game. And, um, which was beautiful. Uh, so there's some talent there, you know, you got to see some possibilities for the future here in, at Maryland and see who's going to come and take over next year. Um, <clears throat> but it, overall, man, I mean, and defensively, I thought they were great defensively. They, they shut down Auburn. There was great tackling all game. Um, they didn't seem to have much trouble getting to Thorn and and uh, and you know getting some pick sixes and and a fumble recover a recovery on that kick return. Um, it was a pretty dominant performance by Maryland. Auburn didn't really ever seem to pose much of a threat. Um, I, I know they had a few plays here and there that went their way, but overall, man, it just looked it was Maryland's game from the start, and and uh, it was just yeah a great win by Loxley and the Terrapins. Yeah, my first note is fast start was everything. Once Maryland went up 21-0, you know it was going to be tough for Auburn to claw its way back into the game. You have to come out sharp in these bowl games or you can get it run off the field early, and that's exactly what happened to Auburn. And it's like, you know, in conference play, teams will come back from being way down, but in bowl games, it doesn't – I mean, it happens. I know because I picked Old Dominion. They were up 28 points in the fourth quarter and lost, or in the second half and lost up 28 points. So it does happen, but not – very often mm-hmm. um all credit due to maryland but what happened to the offense in the second half <laughs> maryland didn't score any points in the sec offensive points in the second half 
why was that exactly? What happened? Do you think that the offense just totally disappeared? Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure. I think that's this more of the inconsistency that you do see in the regular season when it comes to Maryland and Loxley's offense. Offense, it's, it's, they're either really good at starting the game or finishing the game. They're, they're, they're amazing in one half and not the other. And, and, uh, you know, cause we saw them go, you know, start out, you know, un, you know, down by two touchdowns, but then coming back in the second half and being able to pull out the win, um, or, you know, vice versa, looking amazing in the first half and then, you know, uh, you know, losing it in the second. So it looked like that was just the, the case here. Uh, fortunately for Maryland, it looked like they just had the, um, they had a team that just wasn't obviously good enough to be able to make that comeback. Yeah. No, I I, uh, I agree with you. And it's, you know, the lack of second half offense didn't matter because the defense played great. Yep. And when your defense is playing great, you don't have to, you know, worry about scoring a bunch of points. I'm sure out there somewhere, PJ Fleck was nodding in approval to Mike Loxley. Like, just ice it away, Mike. Just do it. <laughs> you got it. Um, big deal for Maryland to get to eight wins. Eight and five is a pretty decent season considering they played an East Division schedule this fall. Um, is Cam Edge or Billy Edwards the future at QB or is Mike Loxley going to ride with one of those guys or will he go fishing in the portal? I'm really curious to see which way this program goes at QB because Billy Edwards is a much different type of QB than Leah Tugavailoa. Yeah. Cam Edge might be more like the type of QB Locks tends to prefer. So I just wonder if, if you know, if we guys, teams can go to the portal, but if they don't go to the portal, it seems like Cam Edge is more likely to win the job long term, just based on what we saw in that game. Yeah, I think Edge seems to have the look um, that that Locks usually goes with. I think it's really good and nice to have uh, someone like Billy Edwards as a backup that you can run the Wildcat. You can maybe um, switch some things up with because the guy's got freaking legs and he's a he's a horse too. Like he's a big guy, so he's. He's able to carry some dudes and he's accurate enough that if you do need him to throw the ball, he can. So he looked competent on the field. He ran the offense well enough, I think, um, you know, for the most part. And I think that uh, it'll be really fun. Another another uh, team that will be really interesting to see because there's so many of these schools that had these these uh, these quarterbacks and these players that, you know, that that were there for so long. And now you're seeing some turnover and, and how the their yeah. identity is going to change here in the future. So. It'll be cool. It's it's true. We are seeing the changing of the guard in real time, mm -hmm. and it's fun. All right. Next up, we have the ReliaQuest Bowl. The LSU Tigers, 35. The Wisconsin Badgers, 31. Both Jaden Daniels for LSU and Braylon Allen for Wisconsin opted out, so that was a shame the best two players didn't play. Um, that said, total yards, LSU at 492 to Wisconsin's 506, so pretty even there. Um, both teams put up huge numbers passing with 378 and 395 yards respectively, but neither team ran the ball well as Wisconsin had 3.8 yards per rush and LSU just 3.9 yards per rush. Each team had one turnover, so that was even and not an advantage either way. LSU quarterback Garrett Nussmeyer was 31 for 45 for 395 yards 8.8 .8 yards per attempt, three TDs, one pick, and a QBR of 86.8. Impressive day for Nussmeyer, aside from the pick. He took did a great job taking over for 
Heisman winner, Jaden Daniels. LSU didn't run the ball well, but Josh Williams and Noah Kane combined for 82 yards and 18 carries, and that was enough to complement their potent passing attack. Wide receiver Brian Thomas had eight catches for 98 yards and two TDs, while wide receiver Kyren Lacey had six grabs for 95 yards, and tight end Mason Taylor had seven for 88. So big day from those three guys in particular. On D, all-name team candidate, safety Major Burns, had 13 tackles, including one and a half tackles for loss. Fellow safety and fellow all-name team candidate, Sage Ryan, had a nice day with six tackles and two passes defended. Defensive tackle Makai Wingo had three tackles, including a couple sacks. Quarterback Tanner Mordecai for Wisconsin had a nice day, going 27 of 40 for 378 yards, three TDs, no picks. But once again, Mordecai had multiple fumbles in this game, this time losing one of them. Ball security has been an issue for Mordecai all year, and it cost him a, and it cost him today. He ends this game with a QBR of 61.6. Uh, Jackson Aker had a nice day running the ball for Wisconsin with 86 yards and 6.1 yards per rush, while Cade Yacomelli had 45 yards and 6.4 yards per rush. Was a decent day for the Badger running game. Makes you wonder why they didn't lean a little harder into that running game. Um, Will Pauling had a huge day with eight catches for 143 yards for Wisconsin, while Bryson Green also had seven catches for 105 yards. Just huge performances from those two players who combined for three TDs between them. It was not enough, though, to overcome a defense that couldn't stop LSU. The Badger D put up little resistance all day, and it cost them on a day when the offense played pretty well. Nussmeyer led a 98-yard game-winning TD drive in the final minutes to secure victory for the Tigers. Nussmeyer rallied the Tigers from a 14-point second-half deficit to overshadow a stellar performance by Wisconsin's Tanner Mordecai. Um, Wisconsin coach Luke Fickle said, quote, This hurts. We had every opportunity. This is what we wanted. We wanted an opportunity to get this thing to the fourth quarter and find a way to finish. That's probably been our Achilles heel all year. We just couldn't get it done. Close quote. John, what'd you think about this one? Well, let's just, I want to start out by saying that let's remember that this LSU defense was really bad, even without, even without all the guys that opted out from the LSU defense. So, you know, um, Mordecai looked great and the passing game looked better than it has pretty much all year um, against a pretty bad SEC defense. But either way, I want to give Mordecai credit and I want to give Pauling credit because they they looked fantastic and they were able to they were able to um, make some amazing plays out there when needed. Um, But the running game, you're right, man. Like I was a little confused as why they didn't lean on that more. Um, That has always been, even without Braylon Allen, been their bread and butter and where they seem to succeed um, and have a little bit more balanced attack there. And And it did seem to me that Mordecai, I understand the guy can run. But he seemed to be running away from pressure a little bit more uh, more than uh, you would have wanted to see with the O-line, you know, being a little bit questionable at times. And and the other thing I noticed offensively, too, with with Wisconsin is what where I did see the lack of Bra- a guy like Braylon Allen was, you know, being able to punch that punch the ball in at the goal line and, and get those short yard, uh, those short yard, short yardage gains, um, <clears throat> you know, it. You were able to see Acker and Yacomelli get kind of plugged up and not be able to make that extra push, which uh, obviously someone who like Braylon Allen was more often than not able to get. Um, But defensively, you know, 
overall, you're right. It was not great. Um, the coverage just wasn't great. There wasn't enough pressure on the QB from the defensive line. It was just kind of a mess. The one bright spot is, as always, this whole year was Waller. He he looked great. He was all over the field. Man, he's everywhere, yeah. isn't he? He was making tackles. He looked fantastic. So, you know, there's there at least you got that going for you. And I think there's, you know, definitely something to build around there um, defensively. But there's a lot of work to do here coming into the next season um, for, uh, the Badgers defense and a lot of change again, a lot of change offensively. I mean, you got to find out who the next, you know, we know who the next quarterback is going to be. Um, is it going to be a significant upgrade and who is going to run the ball? You know, Wisconsin every single year seems to have had for the better part of the last two decades, um, some, you know, you know, running back phenom coming in that's able to just bulldoze over everybody. And right now, you know, they've got some good running backs, but I'm not seeing anyone who's just an absolute standout the way we're traditionally used to seeing. So uh, there's a lot of change coming into Wisconsin. Obviously, there was this year. Um, there's just going to be a lot more things coming up, and and we'll see what Luke Fickle has in store. Yeah, no, I'm with you. You're taking my notes for sure. Um, Braylon Allen opted out, and who's the who's the next feature back for Wisconsin? Because we know there are some great feature backs coming back in the Big Ten. And I just wonder, is that guy on the roster currently or is it fingers crossed one of the true freshmen or freshman who comes in next year is going to be the guy? Mm -hmm. You know, I'll be really interested to see the way Fickle goes there because that makes a difference because, yes, the air raid looked great against Wisconsin or great against LSU. And that was awesome. Um, But it did not look great against Big Ten defenses for the most part. Yes. That's yeah. And that's something I, I yeah, that's kind of what I was trying to get at there. And I failed to really get into it. But yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I'll be one who says I don't think Tyler Van Dyke. I think Tanner Mordecai is pretty good. I don't think if Wisconsin fans are thinking that Tyler Van Dyke is is going to be an improvement, like he might have more upside. He might have a bigger arm and like more NFL kind of quote unquote tools. But I don't know if he's a better player than Mordecai is. Mordecai's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Great athlete, man. Absolutely. It's gonna be really interesting to see because I think Fickle, you know, Fickle, I'm sure, loves his job and loves what he's doing in Madison. Like, don't get me wrong, but that guy's Mr. Buckeye. Mm-hmm. And you know he's looking at Ryan Day in Columbus thinking, maybe. Maybe if Ryan Day falls flat on his face next year, maybe if I have a big year, it could be me in Columbus. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. I think that's a real, and I know Buckeye fans who would love Luke Fickle to be the next head coach and would like, like him more than Ryan Day. Of course, you know, you always, it's the current guy who you go after, but, um, but yeah, so that was an interesting game. I think Wisconsin has to be um, encouraged about the offense though. I think we're starting to see some playmakers emerge. You know, the hope is that was Tyler and Van Dyke can be more consistent at Wisconsin than he ever was at Miami. And maybe he can, maybe he can be Russell Wilson, you know, maybe he can walk in and suddenly everything clicks and it just works out. So it'll be really interesting to see um, the Badgers. Cause I just think they have a lot on the line next year. I think Luke fickle is kind of committed to next year being the breakthrough where he wins a bunch of games. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, if that doesn't happen, then there's going to be trouble in in Madison. Yeah, 
I agree. It's going to be fun to watch. And I think, and I think, you know, they pulled in another good recruiting class. So I do think Wisconsin should be good next year. So I'm not in any way trying to denigrate that. Don't be clear. Wisconsin fans. Um, I think you've got a, a good future with your coach. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Moving on to our next game, the cheese it citrus bowl, the Tennessee volunteers, 35, the Iowa Hawkeyes, zero total yards, Tennessee, 383 to Iowa, 173. Iowa managed just 60 yards passing on 2.4 yards per attempt. That is not going to get it done against a high powered offense like Tennessee. Iowa also had three turnovers while Tennessee had zero. So that didn't help anything either. Uh, Tennessee QB Nico Iamala. Oh, Iamaleava. There we go. Have that one. Was 12 of 19 for 151 yards on 7.9 yards per attempt. One TD, zero picks with a QBR of 80.4. So impressive starting performance for Nico. Uh, Tennessee running back Dylan Sampson had 133 yards rushing on 20 carries at 6.7 yards per rush to lead the way for Tennessee. Sampson did whatever he wanted to all day. Uh, Raymond Keaton had three catches for 51 yards while Squirrel White had three for 39. The Volunteers didn't need big numbers in the passing game as they were able to run for 232 yards on the day. For Iowa, QB Deacon Hill and his backup combined to go nine for 25 for 60 yards on 2.4 yards per attempt, zero TDs, two picks. Um, it's arguably his worst performance in a year filled with poor performances. The running game never got going as Caleb Johnson had just 34 yards rushing to lead all Iowa running backs. Iowa had just nine catches for 69 yards, so nobody really stood out in the receiving game. John, what did you think about this lopsided game? Uh, as did Iowa find a way to, for their offense to get even worse? Um, it's, it's, this was, it happened. This was bad. Um, and their defense did not look great either. I expected a lot more, um, from Phil Parker and, and the Iowa defense as well here. Uh, I, I don't, understand the decision to keep to stay as long as they did with Deacon Hill um is there was there really like I, I understand uh Lainez Lainez uh Lainez whatever um their backup who did come in and he was able to have some mobility I'm calling him Lanes but I have no idea it, who anyway he 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 um he was able to actually you know make some some plays and be able to, you know, move with his legs, but he move. Yeah. He, he got some first downs and there was some offense, you know, some offense there, but uh, I just don't see why you are staying with Deacon Hill. As long as you have, I know he's been a problem all year. Um, and your defenses and your special teams have been able to pull out wins for, for you. But like, this was atrocious on a whole nother level. And I don't, get it he was such a statue i he was just there was no mobility his decision making was just awful awful and i I don't know um the offensive line too was just giving up sacks i the it was just atrocious i don't really have any words um i'm 
tripping over myself right now because I don't even know how to describe this. Um, and I'm and I was just terrible. I was so surprised with Iowa's defense as well. I, I it was a freaking mess across the board. That's what that's what shocked me. That Tennessee ran the ball at will. yeah. I did not expect that. Iowa shut down the run all year, and Tennessee ran the ball at will right down their throats. This was really bad. It was brutal. This was like a this was like a bad legacy game for Kirk Ferentz, like one that you don't want to talk about. Like, let's forget about that bowl game. What all of Kirk Ferentz's New Year's Six bowl games? Let's not let's not talk about that. That well, one. and you know this just this just says everything about Brian Ferentz and his career at uh, at Iowa. Oh. For Brian Ferentz to be shut out in his last performance as OC for Iowa, it was a fitting tribute, right? It sums up his whole tenure as OC. Iowa fans will be happy to see him go. Yeah. When I knew that opening that opening uh, red zone, Ed zone interception, when it looked like they were going to score a touchdown, and Deacon Hill throws the pick in the end zone, and then Tennessee goes down and scores. And I was just like, that's over. It's over. Like, they're not bouncing back from that. There's no chance. And it just got more lopsided from there. Yeah, I I don't have much to say about this game other than it was terrible. It was very difficult to watch. Um, I know I picked Iowa to win. I thought that they that Phil Parker was going to be able to draw up something great, and it was going to be another game where Iowa's defense and special teams finds a way, um, and then their offense is going to be able to do just enough. Um, but it was not that at all, um, and and this was embarrassing. Um, and uh, yeah, man. Um, but uh, we'll see, man. I, I am very intrigued, and I know we'll talk about a lot of this stuff over all these teams in the offseason here with uh, with covering each team. Um, but I am really interested to see what the future holds in Iowa City and uh, the, the future of the Ferentz family, I guess, not just Brian, to see what... Uh, I'm not expecting Kirk to go anywhere this year, but there's got to no. be talk of the future and how they're going to move forward. It's yeah, it's wild to, to not show up to that extent in a bowl game on both sides of the ball. Just a truly inept performance. You know, Iowa still finishes 10 and four. Um, so it's a solid season, but you lose your last two games and you get shut out. Shut out your last two games. Yeah, that's that's abysmal offensively and that should never happen. So. That is something. It is like Kirk Ferentz is at a real inflection point. And I'll tell you what, man, Cade McNamara better stay healthy for them next year. Yep. Like, I mean, I think you can say that about most quarterbacks, most Big Ten teams, sure. right? If you get past the starting quarterback, it's not gonna, it's not gonna be great. Yeah. But Cade McNamara, I think especially, really needs to stay healthy for Iowa to do, you know, if Iowa's gonna have a good year next year. Yep and justify Kirk, you know, continuing to run, to run things in Iowa city. Yeah, it was, uh, we'll, we'll see, man. I'm, I'm intrigued and I, I'm going to, I'm sure, you know, talk and rumors will, will start, um, soon enough in, in regard to like how they plan on proceeding, um, with the future. 
uh, down there because I feel like they have to. You you just have to at this point in time. Have to what? Exactly. Start thinking about who who's going to take over after Kirk yeah. is Kirk is done. I mean, and, and I'm not even talking like and the guy's done a fantastic job. Like full credit to the to him as a head coach. Had a wonderful time. Yes, but you know, there, there has to be a time just like they're talking about. You have to talk about Nick Saban. You have to talk about the, there are certain coaches that have been around for so long and it's just, it's an age thing. And I, you know, it sucks, but like, that's just the reality. So there has to be, you know, you're starting to see some cracks and, and, um, you start to wonder, okay, well, how much longer is this sustainable and how are we going to move forward? So I'm, I'm intrigued and, and not, not, you know, in any other way than I just, I feel like it's gotta be a conversation being had at this point in time in the administration down there. Yeah. I mean, just because here's the thing. If at any point the defense falls off even a little bit, if the offense is what it's been, then that's going to be real trouble in the win loss column. Yeah. But I mean, on the other hand, as long as Phil Parker's there, it ain't broke. You know, they might just keep riding along and having historically good defenses every year. That's completely on the that's completely on the table. And if that happens, then it's really interesting, right? Because what happens if the offense, what happens if Iowa keeps winning, but the offense doesn't get better? And they get blown out, you know, they get blown out three, four times, but they still go, you know, eight and four and win a bowl game or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like still have a good year, but the offense is still just as bad. Then like what is what does Iowa do? I'm curious where the fan base is at. And that's just it. I like, do you embrace that or do you get more frustrated and upset with it because you want to see some level of offense and you, because you want to go, you want to be better than that. You know, like it's great to have that. And I think next year they probably will, will have another elite defense. I'm expecting a number of players to come back. Um, We already know there's a couple offensive players that are coming back, back, which will help. But still, like, is that oh, is that enough for you? Um, you know, do you still want to be the butt of everybody's joke? Because that's also a possibility, and and that's it's tiring. Yeah, it's recruiting. I mean, I heard uh, I heard one of the national types. I'm not going to say his name because I don't like him all that much. But I heard him saying that you know that Iowa essentially the last four cycles has recruited at a MAC level at wide receiver because if you don't have results long enough. Eventually, you stop getting players at positions. Um, So it's really, I mean, it's a lot. Like I said, a lot's riding on Cade McNamara's arm. It's We've got a lot of storylines, a lot of programs that are kind of at inflection Mm -hmm. points. It's going to be really interesting going into the offseason to study where all these programs are at because a lot of them are at places where things need to get better or things are going to change drastically. Yeah. Well, we got a lot to talk about, and we'll, we'll, we'll go over every single team thoroughly in the off season. We'll talk all, all about this stuff. Ad nauseum. You'll be sick of us talking about them. And then we'll think we know exactly how they're going to be. And then we'll get to the season next year. And half of them will be totally different than what we thought. And that's college. Football. There you go. All right. Next up or last up, we've got the Rose bowl college football playoff semifinal presented by Prudential. The Michigan Wolverines 27, the Alabama Crimson Tide 20. Total yards, Michigan had 351 to Alabama's 288. So Michigan had the advantage passing the ball while both teams ran the ball fairly well. Each team had one turnover, so no big advantage there. 
For Michigan, QB J.J. McCarthy had a really solid performance, going 17 for 27 for 221 yards, 8.2 yards per attempt, three TDs, and zero picks. And look, I know some people, in fact, a lot of people, are complaining about McCarthy's accuracy on a few throws, but people, this isn't the NFL. Not every throw is going to be perfect. These guys are throwing under duress a lot of the time. What matters is that he got the ball to his wide receivers where they could make the plays, and they made the plays for him. The fact he didn't throw any picks was absolutely huge, especially when that early play that looked like he threw a pick that was you know overturned early in the game. Um, Blake Quorum had a good day running the ball with 83 yards on 19 attempts, a solid 4.4 yards per rush, and one TD. Uh, Michigan's ability to win up front and run the ball was huge. Roman Wilson was a standout at wide receiver with four catches for 73 yards and a score. Tyler Morris, Blake Corum, and Samaj Morgan chipped in a handful of receptions too. Morris and Corum both caught touchdowns. Defensively, linebacker Junior Colson was seemingly everywhere with 10 tackles. And DN Josiah Stewart had seven tackles, including a sack and two tackles for loss. Bama QB Jalen Milrow was 16 for 23 for 116 yards, just five yards per attempt, zero TDs, zero picks, and a QBR of just 45.1. Not a great day at the office for Milrow, who really struggled both with Michigan's pressure and with his own center's inability to get him the ball, as there were several poor snaps on the night, which did real damage to Bama's chances. A terrible day for the center and the QB. Uh, running back Jace McClellan had a nice day with 87 yards on 6.2 yards per rush and two TDs. However, Jalen Milrow was stifled in the running game with just three yards per rush on 21 carries. Isaiah Bond led Alabama in receiving with a paltry 47 yards on four catches. Um, John, what did you think about this game? This was fun, man. This was a really fun game. <clears throat> I loved this. This this is Big Ten SEC matchup at its best um i know that everyone you know the national narrative of course was that bama was gonna pull out this win um i think they were favored um and only strictly because they play in the sec um even though michigan has looked dominant all year long uh, I think that was mostly what I think most people thought. Um, but what I loved about this team, about this game the most is how Big Ten Michigan looked, if that makes sense. This oh yeah, this was like so they dominated the line of scrimmage on both sides. They it was smash mouth fu football. And let's run at you with Blake Corum. Let's throw enough and make you know make enough passes down down the field and and watch um, JJ McCarthy you know game manage the the crap out of this game and do really well and you know also find a way to use his legs too. But yes, he made some questionable decisions with the passes. But you like you said, this isn't the NFL and and he got it done when it needed to be done. But. And and Bama, to be fair, had great coverage all day down the field. So like it it was really hard. The only person who yeah, had a great defensive back. Yes, amazing. So you gotta understand here, this is very this is a great defense uh backfield that was really hard to throw against. So, you know, luckily he had Roman Wilson who was able to make some clutch plays um and it was able to, you know, win the win out the game for them. But Michigan's defense was so good that defensive line is just insane 
and five sacks in the first half. That's yep. crazy. And just to see and to see Jalen Miller run for his life, and sure, he was able to make some plays with his legs, but he was always under duress. He was running for his life. And really, at the end of the day, what I was able, what I can take away from this is that Bama was out physical by by Michigan. Michigan was just more dominant. They were able to push them and bully them around um, enough, and that it was able to, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think Bama just had what it takes to stand up to that. And and it was they were punishing at times uh, Michigan's defense. So. The only thing that caused Michigan major problems from what I saw was their special teams. They had that missed field goal. They had those two muffed punts. You know, they really Michigan, in my opinion, should have been up by two scores. They should have won by 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 a, a larger margin. Um, yeah, they should have going away. Yeah. So that's that was the thing that if they were able to correct those mistakes on special teams, I think they that they would have won by a larger score. But um, huge disparity too huge what'd you say huge punting disparity oh, yeah. too in Alabama. yeah absolutely so you know but overall i i do think i know alabama made this a close game but i really do think michigan um deserved this win i think they they were the better team on the field and i think it was clear even though the game was close uh i don't think alabama um you know should I don't think they deserved to uh, to to be in the national title, and Michigan rightfully takes that place. The Wolverines got off to a bad start, and they went down seven zero. And I thought, here we go again. And I was I I right then I was like, oh man, this could be it. But they turned right around, drove down, scored a touchdown, got a stop, scored another touchdown, and take control of the game up thirteen seven after the botched PAT attempt. And, you know, the Wolverines dominated the first half and physically dominated the line of scrimmage, like you said, and should have been more at halftime. But they went into halftime. It was just 13-10 against Nick Saban, the greatest coach of all time. Mm -hmm. And I thought Saban did a fantastic job keeping the Crimson Tide in the game, despite the fact that they were pretty clearly outmatched on both sides of the line of scrimmage. They couldn't protect Jalen Milrow. And Jalen Milrow wasn't throwing the ball that well when he could, when he did get protection. Yep. So I thought Saban did a great job to make it interesting. Um, yeah, like you said, Michigan got crushed on special teams. Um, there was a play. There was a crazy play. The QB throwback double pass where McCarthy tosses the ball to the running back on the toss. And the running back throws it back to McCarthy. But the ball was off target. So McCarthy turns his whole body away from the line of scrimmage, grabs the ball, one hand stabs it over his shoulder, spins, and somehow throws it downfield while falling away from his own throw with the defender in his face. And the pass is complete on the sideline to Roman Wilson. It was one of the greatest plays I saw all year. It was amazing. I would call it arguably the most impressive play I've seen during bowl season this year. McCarthy came up with grass all over his face mask. And I started to think Michigan's going to win this football game. Yep, They wanted it, dude. There was so much fight in that team and they weren't going to go away. 
And that's what I saw. You saw that from the beginning uh, that this team wanted it so bad after what happened last season. You saw that Michigan showed up to freaking play and they were not going to leave with a, with a loss. It was amazing. I mean, Alabama had to switch their whole strategy to running the ball because they literally couldn't protect Milrow. They couldn't protect yep. him. They couldn't. Michigan was that was that dominant up front. And that's what we've been saying all year is that Michigan is that dominant on the line of scrimmage that even against really good teams, they make them look kind of silly yep. with how dominant they yep. are. Um, that one Roman Wilson catch was unbelievable when the ball was tipped and he looked like he was climbing up forever in the air to grab it. And then Alabama kind of all ran past him because they didn't think he was going to catch it. And then, oh man, it was, people have asked if Roman Wilson is truly an elite wide receiver. I'm here to tell you he is. Yep. And he makes plays whenever Michigan needs them. So I'm done. I'm done with the Roman Wilson slander. Like there's been a lot of that. And I'm I'm done with it. Well, and like let's also talk about the fact that uh, Blake Corum is now the leading rusher of all time at the University of Michigan with in TDs. TDs right? Yes, that's incredible. And there's been a I lot know. of really great running backs at Michigan. So really great. I can think back across my lifetime to the very beginning to now the amount of great Michigan running backs over the years, and it's been. You know, as many as any other school for sure, or more. Yep. Big um, deal. So yeah, that's that's truly incredible. Uh, OT was wild. Blake Corum with two runs to win the game, just two. That was it. That was as emphatic an OT touchdown as I've almost ever seen. I, you almost think that Michigan, you got the idea. Michigan went in the huddle and was like, "All right, guys, we're all gonna do this right now. We're gonna win this game right now." And they came out and in two plays punched it right into the end zone. And that's just wild. So then Alabama gets it down inside the 10-yard line. And on fourth down, there's a bad snap again. Milrow has to adjust to the snap. He runs straight ahead and gets stuffed. Nick Saban says it was a straight QB run. However, there is a theory going around that it was actually supposed to be an RPO throw to the running back in the flat. But, like, I tend to take Saban at his word. I think if he actually had a play – Saban likes to tell you how clever he is. If he actually had a play drawn up that would have won the game, I think he would have told you that he had a play drawn up that would have won the game. Mm -hmm. Just have a feeling based on how he normally is. Um, But that was just a wild end to OT. But I agree. I mean, Michigan was clearly the better team. And honestly, they didn't play their best game. Yeah. You know? Um, And because of that, they gave Alabama a chance to win. But ultimately... You know, Michigan was too much and the better team won the game. Yep. And that's that's what was so that, you know, there's so many amazing factors in this game and why it was so exciting. But I agree. I don't think they played their best game. I think that there were definitely some mistakes that that they left out there on the field and they need to fix. They need to uh, address for uh, the national title game. But like I said, my favorite thing, again, even in the overtime was how. Big 10 it was in that we're going to run the ball at you twice. Yep. And and we are and we're going to go with the power run game with our running back that is just, and we're just going to go right at you. We're not afraid of you. We don't care that you're the SEC. We don't care that you're Alabama. Screw you. Let's do this. We're coming for you. And they did and they won and it was amazing and I'm just 
I'm so happy. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not a Michigan fan. This is I, at all in, in not in the least, but I am just so happy to not see Alabama or an SEC team in the national, in the national title game for the first time since 2014 or something. And, and so this is just making me happy to, to just watch that, watch that happen and to see the big 10 succeed. Um, and, uh, I'm really excited for the national title game. This, this is exactly how I wanted it to play out. I mean, Michigan hasn't won a national title since 1997 and the split now, na- and that was a split national title yep. and they haven't, they haven't won. I think, uh, Outright ones. It's a lot way further. I think it was like the eighties. I think. Am I? I could I be wrong. Yeah. No, it could be. Um, and then you know Washington. I think it's been a really really long mm-hmm. time too. So we are going to have a relatively new national champion, um, regardless of how it goes. So that's exciting. Yeah. It'll be fun, man. Two very different teams. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing these two these two styles go against each other. Um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and there's just, yeah, it could be a lot of fireworks. It could be, you know, um, I don't know. It, I'm, Let's preview it quick, yeah? What would you say? Let's preview it yeah, quick, let's, yeah? Yeah, let's talk a little bit about it. All right. My thoughts. Michael Penix is the best player on the t- on the field on either team. He had 430 yards passing, another 31 yards rushing against Texas. Washington has three legit star wide receivers, and Roma Dunze is arguably the best wide receiver in college football. That is a lot of firepower for Michigan to contend with. Washington's own line won the Joe Moore Award, so there'll be a lot tougher challenge than Alabama's O-line was for Michigan's defensive front. Now, Washington was largely unable to run against Texas. I don't think they'll be able to run against Michigan either. So, but they will commit to it enough to make you honor it. Um, but the question is, what happens to Washington? And I think the whole game comes down to this. What happens to Michigan's pass rush when they know Washington's throwing the ball? Is Michigan going to make hay and go crazy on Washington? Because Washington's running back, like I said, Dylan Johnson, he got banged up and it looked like a high ankle sprain kind of thingy. So... I don't think he's going to be full strength. I don't think even if he was full strength, I wouldn't, I don't think they would be able to run the ball. Yeah. So the question is, is Michigan able to dominate up front like they have in every other game this year? Or is Washington going to be able to protect Penix pretty well? Because Washington doesn't really need to be able to run the ball to move the ball. They just need to give Michael Penix enough time. I I think it's going to be... If if Michigan's defense comes out as hungry and as aggressive as they were against um, Alabama, I think they have a chance. I think they could do this, um, and there needs to be that same level of motivation. I think on both sides of the ball. Obviously, I you know Texas's defensive line was no slouch either. No, they're they're good. really good, um, but I you know it does give me with with Washington's offensive line and their ability to protect Penix and and Penix just being as mobile and elusive as he is as well and being able to make plays um it's going to be a real tough test and i think you know what they do have going for them is if Washington you know their their running back is not at full full strength if he's not able to to be able to help balance out that passing attack 
it's it's going to work in Michigan's favor to to a degree. Now is Penix obviously we've he has been doubted. Um, Washington, the entire team has has been um, uh, been in do- people have been uh, doubting them this entire season for the most part, and yet they continue to find a way to make it happen. Uh, so can they make it happen against Michigan? Absolutely. Do I think Michigan is the more complete? team across the board? I think so. I think that that they are more balanced offensively and defensively, that as a unit, they are better. Um, but does Washington have, have more uh, talent at the skill positions? Yes. I think they're, they have the ability to be more, more explosive. So it's going to be really fun, man. I think it's going to be really interesting. I don't know who to pick, to be honest with you. I am going to lean towards Michigan just for because I've seen so much more of them. Um, throughout the season and I know what they can do. And like with that boa constrictor type, uh, type of play that they'll just suffocate you. But I also can't, can't discount the fact that Washington has been, people have been picking against them how many times in a row now, and they continue to find a way to make it happen. And that's great coaching. That is, that is just pure and utter determination, um, that is a team working together and, and working at their strengths and making it happen when it needs to happen. And so they clearly can. Um, so I don't know, man, it's going to be very interesting. It's going to be really cool. I think it's going to be a fantastic national title game, which to be honest, it, it might be the first one I actually watch in years. Cause I've, I it like actually like sit and really pay attention. Like I've, I've watched, I've watched them or I've had them on, but I just haven't really cared because it's just been so much of the same and it's so predictable, but like this, I feel like is a fantastic matchup and I'm not entirely sure how it's all going to turn out. No, me either. I mean, I think Washington hasn't really faced a lot of power running games. And so much of this comes down to whether Washington can competent, competently defend the run or not. Mm-hmm. If they can, the Huskies should win this game. So what does Michigan have in store for this game? Because Michigan played vanilla and held back offensive plays and defensive coverages we saw for the first time against Alabama. And even even to some extent for the first time against Iowa a little bit with what they did defensively. Um, What does Harbaugh have left in his bag of tricks for Washington? Does he have some good stuff in there? Because like he often does. And if he does, that could make a big difference. Because I don't think this is going to be quite the shootout that Washington, Texas was. I think both, I think this Michigan defense is too good um, to allow that many points to be scored. Yeah. So I think it'll be a little, I think Washington, you know, you're not going to stop Washington, not with those wide receivers and Michael Penix, you know, they are unstoppable, but I do think Michigan will limit them. They'll limit possessions. They'll run the ball. They'll grind the clock. You know, they'll make it hard. They'll make it. So Penix doesn't have as many chances to hurt you. Yep. I'm really tempted to take Washington in this game. The offense is unstoppable. Pinnix is the best player on either team. They seem like a team of destiny. It seems like the obvious point choice to pick Washington. Um, but man, I'm done picking against Michigan. <laughs> I picked Michigan to lose to Ohio State. And you saw how that went. I picked Michigan to lose to Alabama and you saw how that went. They rose to the occasion. They won both games. I think the Michigan running game is going to control the line of scrimmage. And that's going to be the difference in this game. I think Blake Corum 
and Donovan Edwards are going to go ballistic and they're going to pressure Michael Penix just enough to get a few key stops, whether those are turnovers or otherwise. Um, that stout D and high octane running game will lead Michigan to its first national title in a quarter century, which is not something I'm like super excited about, <laughs> but here we are and they definitely deserve it. They've been the best team. We've been saying it since pretty much the beginning of the season. Like, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. and, and it's, they've continued to prove it. And yes, they've had a few moments. Remind people when we've been right about stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, ha- and we've been saying it, you know, and, and yeah, they've had some moments where they may, they looked a little sloppy or they weren't dialed in, but like they always came around and, and they always made it happen when it needed to. And they continue to do so. And I don't see why that will stop now. I don't. I I think that I am with you. I am going to also pick Michigan to win this game. Uh, I think it might be a close. Yeah, I I think it might be a close game. Um, but I do. I think you're you're right. I think that Michigan is going to be able to do exactly what they've been doing to teams all season, and they're going to just wear them down. And eventually it's just going to, you know, the clock will run out and that'll be it. It'll be too late, too little, too late for Washington to make a comeback. Yep. I'm with you. I've got Michigan 31, Washington 27. Okay. Well, I didn't, I didn't have a score picked out yet. Um, I wasn't planning on moving ahead with this, but I guess like you said 31, 27. Yep. If I, I just don't. I just don't see Washington scoring in the thirties against that Michigan defense. I think they're just too much. I think it's going to be even a lower scoring game. I think it's going to be Michigan 24, Washington 21. Okay. Interesting. So you think it's really going to be a a struggle? Yeah, I do. I think it is. That's, That's yeah. I could go that way. I could go that way, or it could be a game that where everyone, where both teams are scoring, and it comes down to turnovers and the occasional stop. Well, and this is where, like, I'm, I do like have some questions again. I think they could go either way. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I think the way I could see Washington coming out with a win is if special teams continues to be a freaking problem. Um, it, you know, or or yeah. if all of a sudden JJ gets the turnover bug. Like that's that's how I could see this turnaround for Washington in their favor. Yeah, right on. All right, man. We are at almost two hours here. So if you're still rocking with us, thank you so much. Um, Is there anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? Yeah, as always, uh, you want to find us. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Podcast Addict. You can find us on Twitter at WeLiveForB1GSat. You can find Mike at Alibabwa26. You can find me at Norwegian Gopher. You can also email us. Again, we are looking to find a bunch of uh, if you uh, mailbag questions, anything, ideas you want us to touch on, things like that to move forward here in the off season. We are open to any and every suggestion. Uh, you can email us uh, at we live for Saturday b one g at gmail.com. Awesome. All right. Well, if you are still here and not far into it, you are an obsessive like we are, and I love you for it. So thank you for this podcast. I just hope Mike, and until next time, I hope you have a fellow Scott Happy New Year, everybody. 
We'll talk soon. Yes. Happy New Year. I hope everyone had a wonderful New Year.